computer will introduce Macintosh, and you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. So this commercial was shown in 1984, so, and then I just did a quick math, so if you were 30, if you're 34 years old or younger, you wouldn't have known this commercial, right? And the funny thing is, so what, she, what was she wearing on the hip? An iPod, right? An iPod, and that was released in 2001. So this was way ahead of that time already. And so 1984, this commercial was released, and uh, it was for a Super Bowl commercial. And for those who are the only ones that recognize it, Enoch. <laughs> it's like, uh, so when I posted it on Facebook, anyone recognize it? He was the only one that responded. And I'm like, oh dear, okay. So why did I show this commercial? Well, you know, back then, uh, Apple like uh, introduced this uh, mechanism because uh, in, uh, they interviewed the person who, uh, wrote this commercial, and basically Steve Jobs told this person who wrote it, saying that I want this to be a culture-shifting like, disruptor, right? And he was the first, it was the first time that a person coined that phrase, disruptor. You know, how many of you have heard the word disruptor lately? A lot, right? But that was the first time. And uh, uh, we want, he wanted an impact to change culture, the way we think about things, right? And we've experienced a lot of those too. And then uh, you know, down the road, when I was uh, working for an electronics company that I shall not name, Blue and Yellow, um, you know, there was another like a, a disruptor as well. And like, uh, I'll just give you an example. Well, uh, during uh, tis the season, right? During the time when uh, I was a buyer and I was uh, loading up on my inventory to sell for Christmas, and um, I and then the person that I met was a account manager from Apple. And then uh, Apple, the, the account manager comes up to him, uh, and then I was sitting across the table from him. And then uh, he goes, Jonathan, like, uh, so how's your uh, uh, POs, right? Like, uh, what's your amount of POs for us? And I'm like, oh, I give you an amount, right? And then uh, so he goes, so how much for Sony? Oh, this amount. And then what are you buying? Oh, compact disc players, you know, like a bunch of like MP3 stuff like that. You know, like ghetto blasters. Remember those? Ghetto blasters, okay? And then stuff like that. Now, how much uh, money are you spending on those? Oh, eighty to hundred thousand dollars. You know what? I got something to show you. So he pulls out something out of his briefcase, and he goes, "This is an iPod." And uh, you don't know this, but there's an iTunes store that we're starting, and all that stuff is going to be on this thing, right? And uh, and uh, there's going to be many colors. We're going to have a mirror at the back so the ladies could attract the ladies. I mean, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> right? And then, but he's going to, this is going to revolutionize the whole entire music industry. And then I, I go, and he goes, can I convince you to cancel all your POs and just buy this? Right? And I'm like, hmm. So then I gave some thought, and then, um, and then I, I, you know, I played with it and stuff like that, and I'm like, oh my goodness, OMG, this is going to kill the whole entire market. 
This is going to kill CD players. This is going to kill the, the ghetto blast and stuff. So I quickly canceled all my POs from Sony, RCA, JVC, all the CD players. I literally said, put it on all on clearance. And I bought $5 million worth of iPods <laughs> just to corner the market to get rid of a guy named AMD. And that was the day when AMD went bankrupt. <laughs> that, was that. that season was when AMD went bankrupt because uh, literally we bought all the iPods that were, that were available for Canada. Disruptor. Uh, you won't believe it. CD players disappeared like that after that. Right after that, CD players gone. Ghetto Blasters, done. Everything that, that you could think of that was uh, usually mainstream for, the, uh, for music, gone. Right? Because it was this. Everybody wanted the iPod. Now, this was a chunky iPod. You saw that lady. This was a hard drive. This was like, this was like uh, you were literally carrying a hard drive. All right? Uh, like, but that's what took over the whole entire industry. Disruptors. Now, we've seen a lot more disruptors here even today. We've seen it like uh, on social media. You know, like now everything's on Twit. You know, one, like you got, like how many Twits are following you lately, right? Tweets, Twits, right? Like uh, Twitter, like, so Twitter is there. You know, like uh, the language has changed, right? Everybody's uh, becoming a little bit more sensitive because of Snapchat, right? It thinks it's so immediate and you miss it, right? So then uh, if you're a social scientist, think about it. If language is changing, if the way you present yourself is changing, if uh, the way you're thinking is changing due to technology, then you sum it up and what do you call it? Culture change. A change in culture. And we've realized that. Technology, for good or bad, has changed our culture. And interestingly enough, this video kind of symbolizes that, culture change. So today, we're going to go into part three called the, the, of this series entitled Disturbing Entrance. So just to give you a summary of where we've been. First week, the first Sunday, we looked at the point of view of Herod. You know, we, we tend to uh, like, uh, read the Jesus story quite often. You know, especially in Matthew and Luke, Matthew had the three wise men, Luke had the sheep, shepherds, and the sheep, right? So then, but then, have we ever looked at, how about Herod's point of view, right? What was Herod's point of view with all this? Like, what did he see when he, saw, when he heard the news that Jesus, the true king of Israel, was coming? He freaked out, right? And just on the side note, I made a boo-boo that day. Rosanna corrected me. None of you were brave enough to come up to me, except for my wife. What'd you say to that? <laughs> right? So I made a boo-boo. I said that Herod, like, you know, this Herod uh, was seduced by a stripper too, right? I was wrong because that was another Herod, right? This, yes, both Herods, right, were from Edom, were from the line of Esau, Right? They were both, uh, they did bad stuff too. They married other people's wives and killed the husband to do it. But the Herod that I referred to with regards to the stripper was actually the John the Baptist Herod, way after this Herod died already. So my boo-boo, okay? I am the most humble man in the universe to confess to you that uh, I made that mistake. So there, right? How many pastors can you do? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right? So, but however, Herod freaked out. This Herod freaked out because he knew that he was not a true king of Israel. He knew that God did not appoint him. He knew that he, too, was a pagan. He came from a pagan nation, a, a, a pagan 
society actually appointed him king. And he knew that he was just a hood ornament. He knew that, and then also, not only him, but the Jews around him, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the chief priests, those who knew the law knew that they too were frauds because they didn't correct Herod. Their job was to actually correct him. So when Jesus' news came about Jesus coming into this world as the true king of Israel, the Messiah, those folks freaked out. And so we concluded that day that how about us? When Jesus comes, in, comes into our lives, when we first receive Jesus into our life, do you re remember that day? Do any of you remember that day? When you first received Jesus into your life? Things went like a S storm, right? Just because Jesus turned our lives upside down, inside out, and revealed every single dark little nook and cranny in our lives. That's what he does. He reveals our sinfulness. He reveals it to, to, he revealed it to Paul. That's why he fell off his horse, right? He revealed everything to us and said, look, this is who you are. But he doesn't leave us there. Thank God he doesn't leave us there, right? What happens next is that he invites us back in. He invites us saying, I have given you life. I have given you grace and mercy through the death of my death on the cross and the resurrection. Here, I give it to you now. Do you want it? Do you want to be redeemed from the sins that, of, of your sins? Past, present, and future. The potential sins. Do you want a new life? And that's where our choice has to be made. Do we want to continue to give permission to the sins that we're continuing on? Do we want to give permission, or some people would say legal permission, for those habits and the, the things that we do that, uh, that no one can see? Or are we willing to give it all up and allow Jesus to infiltrate our lives, wipe out our sins, and receive the Holy Spirit so that he is the Lord of our life and receive eternal life with him? That was, that's the offer. Unfortunately, Herod and the Jews didn't want that. They wanted to keep status quo. They liked those sins that they've been committing. They permitted those sins to continue to infiltrate their lives. And therefore, they tried to cover it up, and that's why they reacted that way. They were disturbed, greatly disturbed, and wanted to kill Jesus. You follow? Next, Pastor Fritz last week gave us a, a look at Zechariah and Elizabeth's point of view. Very little to do, um, often we look at the, that couple's point of view. We tend to just skip over to Mary. But what was Zechariah and Elizabeth, and what does peace have anything to do with them? Well, remember what Pastor Fritz said. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were old, very old, right? So old they can't even have kids. But throughout their whole entire life, they never had kids because Elizabeth was barren, right? Now, maybe that doesn't strike us as like, a shock today because having kids is really not the thing to do lately. Right? But back then, kids meant affirmation that you're a human being. Kids meant that you, you're given some status in society. If you don't have kids, there's something got to be wrong with you. You're right here. You're a sinner. You're, to, to, a Jewish, uh, uh, to a Jewish culture, you're a sinner. You're an outcast. You're as bad as that sick person over there right? if you do not have kids. So think about Zechariah and Elizabeth right now. Zechariah is a pastor. He goes into the temple. People are wondering, how come you're not having kids? Are you, aren't you a holy person? Aren't you an obedient? There's something wrong with you. 
right? There's something wrong. Think of the eggshells that he's walking on all the time in his life. Everybody holding on him and holding on Elizabeth. Oh, are they hypocrites? Are they out there just pretending to be Christian? Da 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 da. Think of all the anxiety they must have. Agree? That, there's, no, there's no peace in that. They're always walking on eggshells. They're always finding people looking at them, examining their life. There must be something wrong with them, or else why would they not have kids? Right? Zechariah goes, there's no peace in me. My whole life has been anxiety. Every time I go into church now, I always feel that somebody's honing on to me. Am I, am I putting up a good face? Am I actually being true to myself? Am I really legitimate up at the, up at the pew uh, talking, to the, about, talking to you in sermons? Am I really that simple? Because I'm not having a kid. How about Elizabeth? What's a, how about her? You know, the qualification of being a woman is to have a kid back then. Just look it up, right? It's to have a kid. If you don't have a kid, mm, something's wrong with you. God must not like you. Think of her. She's a pastor's wife, and she doesn't have a kid, right? Think about her, and think about all the ladies and goodwill ladies that are, like talking behind her back, going, oh, there's something wrong with her. She must have like, slept with a guy or something. It's like, did some opioids or something, you know, like, you know, smoked a dope or in her teens or something, right? Think of the anxiety that, that she has, the anxiety, the expectations that she has to live up to. What's going on, God? I'm already at 80 years old. I can't have a kid. Then the angel comes. What did they say? Peace be with you. Peace. Jesus grants peace when we don't have it. When we continue to pursue, and when we continue to find stress and anxiety to meet society's standards, especially when family tells you, so, right? Jesus provides peace. And that's why the angels started with peace be with you. Disturbing peace? Yeah, it was disturbing. Because Zechariah goes, how on earth are you going to provide me with peace? And that's what the blindness happened, right? But Elizabeth was floored, right? Peace, something I never had. And you're granting me this, Jesus provides peace? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Yes, I want it. How does it feel? How does it feel to have peace? Elizabeth is probably wondering. How does it feel to, to, to finally live a life that no, you no longer have to feel that you're being examined? That was last week. Do you need peace right now? Do you need peace from people looking at you? Do you need peace from being compared? Do you need peace from maybe like um, expectations that, uh, that are just so too opposite? Like you go, why are, you, why are they like, putting expectations on me like this? Do you need peace on that? How about peace in relationships? Peace in family? Peace at work? Or just generally peace for your soul? You need that. Come to Jesus. Peace be with you, the angel says. All right, and now we move on. Now we look at a different point of view. We first looked at <clears throat> Herod's point of view. Now we looked at Zechariah and Alyssa's point of view. And now I want to flip it all over and make you a little uncomfortable. And we're going to talk about the dragon's point of view. All right, you ready for this? The dragon's point of view. And it has something to do with culture shifts. All right, if you have your Bibles with me, please turn with me to Revelations chapter 12, uh, verse 1 to 18. 
Revelations chapter 12, verse 1 to 18. And I'll read it, and you guys could follow with me. Uh, it's probably on the screen, right? Am I right? Please acknowledge that. I don't want to turn around. All right. Revelations chapter 12. Let's begin. A great sign. Now, this is a, uh, just a little, you know, this is called, the actual name of Revelation is called the Revelation of Jesus. All right? So, let's begin. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. I cannot picture that. I don't know what that looks like. It's pretty creepy. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Where have we heard that? Right? Where have we heard that? You have to ask yourself that. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurling down, hurling down. In the proper Greek, this is called hurling, hurling, hurling down. So it's still hurling. Okay, the dragon is still hurling. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times and a half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep away with torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Now, this is God's word. Let's work through this in steps, okay? First of all, verse 1 to 12. Let's read it again. A great sign. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Great sign. A great visual display that describes... What happened, what is happening, and what will be happening? Follow? This is Revelation we're talking about. So there's three dimensions every time we read this. It's supposed to describe a great sign, sign that describes what happened in the past, what's currently happening today, and what will be happening in the future. Follow? And also, like I said, this is, like a, this is the letter from John writing to a group of churches, and he titled it The Revelation of Jesus. So this sign has to point to something or someone. 
And so this sign, this great sign, has to point to Jesus. All right? Has to point to Jesus, who he is, and who he is to, what he is to do. All right? His purpose. Who he is, and what's his purpose. And so, first sign then. When we look at this sign in three dimensions, what's the first one uh, this sign represents? Well, we see a woman, right? We see a woman. And it's supposed to talk about the past, right? And then when I said, have we seen this before? Who do you think that might be? Mary, right? Because if you recall, this woman is giving birth and, is ready to, and someone's ready to devour him, to kill him. And we just read in Matthew who that was. That was Herod. So this woman, this great sign, the first dimension of this great sign is Mary, the woman who's giving birth. But then what else, what other sign is there? What other sign is, this is about the past still. What is the sign? And this sign is a little elusive. And unfortunately, you and I in the 21st century, we, a lot of Christians actually, including myself, we don't really know our Old Testament that well because we, don't, we didn't live in it, right? We were never told the stories repeatedly. And so I have, like, I have to go to a commentary to look at this up, look up this other sign that is referred to. And if you can, in your digital Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. Because we hear about this sign that this woman has moons and stars and suns. And so who can this, else can this be, this woman? And so in Genesis chapter 37, verse 9, I could read it. It is this. Then he, this is about Joseph. And he had a dream that pissed off his brothers, okay? And this was the dream that he had, and he told it. Now, this is like a, okay, I preached on Joseph before, and I call it a CLM, a career-limiting move. <laughs> right by Joseph. Right? You don't talk about a dream to, that, to your coworkers that, hey, guess what, everybody? You're going to bow to me someday. Right? Think about Henry, right? Goes up to work today and you know, waltz in. All of you are going to bow to me. <laughs> right? You don't do that. But this is what Joseph did, okay? This is what Joseph said. Then he had another dream and he told his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Okay. And so who is the sun and the moon and the 11 stars? Well, the 11, bless Joseph, is what, the tribes of Israel, right? And then the sun and the moon, we can uh, say that this is about Joseph's mom and dad, right? And so, so this sign, another sign, what this dimension is describing is the people of God, right? This is the people of God, the chosen people of God. And so that's the second sign. And then we realize that too because... The second sign, like uh, also, this woman went to where? The wilderness. And what do we know about Israel's history? They went to the wilderness, right? You, you follow? So, okay, so first sign, Mary. Second dimension of this sign, people of God. The true Israel, the people of God. What's next then? All right, so we can move on to chapter 12, verse 17. Oh, wait, wait, no, and then... We move on to the next one, which later on describes uh, the, those who have followed Jesus, obeyed his commands through their testimony and never uh, uh, loved their lives. Who, the, who are those today, present day Christians, right? So this moment encompasses three dimensions then. Mary, 
People of God, Christians, the church. All right, you follow? These are the three signs, three dimensions of the sign. Let's move on. Because how do we know that? Well, here in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, sorry, I just jumped over. But if you read a chapter, verse 17, it says here, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Ta-da, that's us. Church and her people. Sorry. Got to wipe my nose. So you get really passionate and then you start leaking. Okay, so, <laughs> so, this, so those are the three. So to sum up, we already summed up Mary, people of God, and the church. So what's next then? Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous dragon. So let's look at verse 3 to 5. An enormous dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Interesting. So now, if we know who the woman is, who might this dragon be? Well, if we look at the first dimension of Mary, we know that the dragon now is Herod. Right? Good. You're following. And then if it's the second one of Israel with the wilderness thing, who might that be dragon be? Exodus, wilderness. Who was chasing after Israel? Pharaoh. Right? That's the second one. Now the third one, though. Who might the third one be? Right? So we go on and says, well, John explains a little bit. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It goes, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Notice what John says then. He says, he describes Pharaoh, he describes Herod, and he describes all evil as driven by Satan. Satan drives this. He's the ultimate dude that drives this whole thing. He drives the evil, he drives all this, trying to destroy God's plan, God's salvation plan, God's people and Jesus. This is Satan here. And so finally, the ultimate dimension of who this dragon is, is Satan. Satan and all his minions and all his plans is encompassed in this dragon. And what do we know about this dragon? This dragon is very angry. And why is he angry? Because Jesus came and conquered him through, his, through Jesus' death and resurrection. As we can see here, it says in Revelation 7 to 11, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But this dragon was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurling down. The ancient serpent called the devil, saying, leads the whole world astray. Notice what it says. John acknowledges, acknowledges that this dragon leads the whole world astray. Pharaoh, Herod, everybody. He leads the whole world astray. And he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of the Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the what? Blood of the lamb 
and by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Let's work backwards here. The reason why Satan was defeated is because of who? Jesus. Jesus is coming. Jesus' purpose on this planet is his death and his resurrection. Jesus defeated the dragon without much of a battle. All Jesus did was, he well, it's a lot, he died and rose. And there, the, the dragon is defeated, hurled down. Salvation has come for this. There was not much of a battle. And so, the, what do I mean by the great disruption then? There was a huge disruption. Think about it this way. Pharaoh was the leader, just look back. Pharaoh was the leader of pretty much the known world, right? Egypt developed the culture. Herod was representative of another power of the known world, Rome, right? So when, the, this, when Jesus came, it's not just some little personal, um, little nativity scene that we see. It's not some ushi-gushi emotional thing for personally. When Jesus came, it shifted the entire world. The greatest disruption ever. When the world says, look, take care of yourself. Be powerful. Take a, like, take a look at yourself and just serve your own desires. Jesus came and said, no. I'm, I'm going to show you a way that there is somebody that is willing to die for you. That is not selfish and is selfless. That will provide you with salvation for everyone in this globe and not just one or two people that, who could just happen to make it. He, Jesus' entry shifted the entire world. It disrupted. His entrance disrupted. And, this, and if you think about the, uh, Satan hurling down, this is, he just made the whole world paradigm hurl down. And when Fritz read the Magnificat, Mary's Magnificat, there's a reason why she sang that. You notice that every verse that she sang it was something turned upside down. The rich becomes poor. The poor becomes rich. Remember that? The hungry is fed, but the well-fed become hungry. Why is that? It's because Jesus' entry to this world turned the whole freaking world upside down. No longer will the poor remain poor. No longer will the rich remain rich and exploit the poor. No longer will there be hungry, uh, people in hunger, Jesus flips that whole thing upside down. And so therefore, it's not, yes, Christmas is about personal endeavors, your personal relationship with Jesus. But remember this, it's also a global one. It's a global disruption, a cultural disruption. Let's listen again to verse 11. How was this disrupted then? Let's look at verse 11. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. See, this is interesting. Who's the they? Us, Christians, Jesus' followers. And what does John describe them as? They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And they also shared the gospel. Not just any gospel. Not just some gospel that we memorize in our heads. It's the gospel that impacts you personally. Their testimony. Meaning, Jonathan Chan, how did you come to know Jesus? Well, Jesus did this for me. And this is what Jesus is for in my life. This is how Jesus is for my, the Lord of my life. Our own testimonies. 
right? This whole culture, this, this culture shock is actually triumphed by our testimony and by our selflessness. They didn't love their lives as much as shrink from death. We are willing to die for this. That's how this world is in shock. We are willing to die for the gospel. The world never saw that. Here's an example. It's not a note, sorry, this just came to me. I was having a chat with uh, one of the individuals a little while back. She's divorced. And then, uh, so then she asked me, like, oh, John, like, like, where can I find another man who loves me that much? You know, it's so hard to find a man to, you know, love me. I'm like, you have at least one. Because Jesus is the one that died for you. There's, a, there's at least one man who loves you enough to die for you. Where do we see that in this world today? Where there is actually people willing to die for you. That is something the world never saw coming. They would never expect an individual would willing to just set aside his own life, knowing full well that he had no sin to deserve it, to die for someone else who does, who has sin. The world never saw it coming. Remember what um, we said, like the world operated under karma, where you pay, you get what you deserve, right? That's the world. But then Jesus came and flipped that. No longer is that. That's how Jesus created that disturbance, that culture shock. So how, well, how do we apply it for today, especially this season? You know, practically, personally for me, um, I'll be visiting, you know, we've been going through dinners and dinner parties and such, and it's usually with family and friends, you know, close ones. So how can uh, we be more disrupting, more Jesus disrupting? You know, I encourage all of us, when we find our places at our table, at the dinner table, and when conversations arise, then when we realize that maybe there are some conversations that need redemptive, redeeming, let's say, like if we realize that a lot of our family is like talking a lot about money, or the need for money, or the lack of, right? What should we actually do and speak into? Contentment, joy. Give joy to that conversation. Provide peace with that conversation. How about like this? Some of us uh, are maybe, and I've heard some of you, relationships are a little sour. Christmas is a, is a time of, I don't want to see that person, but I have to invite that person, right? Let's say that, that, that at the dinner table. There's friction, you feel it. What are we called to do as Christians? To mediate peace, to give peace, comfort, forgiveness, reconciliation. That's a disruptor, isn't it? Coming to church today is a disruption, right? Normally, this is a great opportunity for the world to tell you to sleep in, right? And to watch a football game. But no, you're going to disrupt that, right? Or how about this? They're, they're, they're like, uh, when people are talking about, you realize that the, uh, we're talking too much about our kids. And, there are, and we realize that there's some couples in our church community or in our own uh, social communities where it says like, there's couples that cannot have kids or have been trying. What's our job out there? Peace, joy, grace, mercy, disruptions. We, as Christians, are called to, share, to provide people with our testimony, a testimony that proclaims the life-giving measures of the gospel. 
We are also to the, the proclaim and to show to the world that we do not shrink from death, that we are willing to die for what we believe. And that also calls us to uncomfortable spaces at our dinner table. When we hear a lot of like, maybe a little things that we said that the Holy Spirit moves us to say, you know what, this conversation needs to be redeemed. The Holy Spirit is telling you to do it. Disruptions. Sisters and brothers in Christ, Christmas is a time of, yes, family gatherings, yes, of, 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 of celebrating Jesus' coming. But we also must remember that it's a time of opportunity, a time for us Christians to actually reveal the light of the world, to the, reveal the light to the world, hence we sang that song. Christians, this is a, Christmas is an opportunity to actually be the most generous as you can be, the most hospitable you can be, and to be the best peacemaker as you can be to the people who you love and to the, those who are around you. So I encourage you, before you leave, or even the, the, during your time of like traveling back to your homes or whatever, do a short prayer. Pray that the Holy Spirit will come into your heart and reveal to you what he wants you to do this Christmas to disrupt, to bring peace, grace, reconciliation, things that really are the, is the gospel. He might be calling you to do that. And pray for that. Invite the Holy Spirit in to be that person. Amen.